You're listening to Social Science Fiction, a podcast that blends political science and nerd culture, examining the politics of science fiction and fantasy. Hey there, and welcome back to Social Science Fiction. After a couple unexpected weeks off, we are back for the first episode of the new year. Happy 2021, everybody. Glad to be back. And for the first episode of the new year, we're analyzing the empire of Star Wars. What sort of government was it? How did it function? How did it run? How would we define it in political science terms? Now, I always found the Empire and Emperor Palpatine interesting from a poli-sci perspective because they don't seem to exactly fit into the categories we expect them to. In political science, when studying non-democratic regimes, things like dictatorships, we make a distinction between authoritarian and totalitarian regimes. Now, an authoritarian regime is some kind of dictatorship wherein there are no or very limited political rights. You don't get to vote. You don't get to hold your government accountable. If you speak out against the government, if you criticize the government, if you try to bring about political change, you're going to be arrested or disappeared or killed. But oftentimes in authoritarian regimes, you'll see people have some degree of day-to-day social freedom. In other words, as long as you don't cause trouble for the regime, refrain from protest, or resisting the government in any way, you're going to live your day-to-day life. People have jobs, they go out, work, they have families, they watch what they want on TV, they belong to social clubs and play sports and so on. Now, this is, of course, not to say that living in these regimes is good. It's still horrifyingly bad to live in an authoritarian regime where you don't have basic political rights. But the point is, the government in general in these kinds of places isn't all-encompassing. It's not 1984's Big Brother. It's not invading every aspect of your life. As long as you stay out of politics, keep your head down, the government probably isn't going to be too concerned with you. They're probably spying on you to make sure you're not causing problems, but they're not going to be concerned with what you're doing in your private time. And flowing from this, in general, authoritarian regimes, government is mostly concerned with keeping the people uninterested in politics. In political science terms, the government is interested in politically demobilizing the population. Get the people not caring, not paying attention to what's happening politically. The message is just live your life, stay out of our business. Now we contrast this with totalitarian regimes. Regimes in which, beyond stripping the people of all political rights, the government also seeks to control all aspects of your social life. Basically shape the very fabric of society. Nothing is outside of the scope of this dictatorship. You have pervasive spying on the population, a well-funded secret police, and large-scale attempts to indoctrinate the population into the political ideology of the regime. So here, rather than like an authoritarian regime where the government tries to demobilize the people, get people not thinking about politics, a totalitarian regime, the idea is we want to mobilize the people. We want the people engaged in politics. We want them involved. It's just that we want them involved supporting our cause, believing in our political ideology, believing in our ideals, our goals. And so those are the big differences between authoritarian or totalitarian regimes. Authoritarian, there's no real ideology guiding the regime except 
a desire for those in power to stay in power. In a totalitarian regime, there is a guiding ideology, and the state seeks to impose it on the people wholesale and control every aspect of their lives. Every facet of social life is controlled by the state, invaded by this ideology. So when we talk totalitarianism, we think Nazi Germany, Soviet Union. Regimes that had an ideology, Nazism, fascism, or Marxist socialism, and the state seeks to truly control every aspect of people's lives. Think about things like the Hitler Youth or comparable programs in the Soviet Union. There's an attempt by the state not just to control people politically, but to control the way people think, to convert everybody to the ideology of the state. And if you don't tow that party line, you're going to be going to jail or just disappeared. The same as if you criticize the government explicitly. And so we generally make this distinction in political science. We can talk about authoritarian or totalitarian regimes, and on the surface it seems like the empire should qualify as a totalitarian regime. I mean, the aesthetics are very Nazi-ish. This was obviously intended by Lucas. The military officers all have very Nazi-style uniforms. A lot of this, just the general style of the empire is clearly meant to evoke Nazi Germany, which itself was a totalitarian regime. And further, we know the empire is, in a way, built on a specific ideology because Palpatine himself has an ideology. He is a member of the Sith. So Palpatine's membership in this Sith Club, which I guess at the time of the Empire is really just him and Darth Vader, and if you read some of the extended universe stuff, maybe some other random secret people, but basically just him and Vader. But this is a religious belief, and it is a true political ideology. It's a belief system that says this is how government should be run. The head of the Sith should just rule everybody. So there is an ideology here. Palpatine has an ideology. It clearly influences him. It guides who he is. It guides his behavior, his goals. But on the other hand, he doesn't seem to rule like a totalitarian. There doesn't seem to be any attempt by Palpatine to indoctrinate anybody into this ideology apart from Anakin Skywalker. And he doesn't seem interested in mobilizing the population in the name of this ideology. When you know the background of Palpatine and the Sith and so on, he looks like a theocrat. He looks like someone who's guided by a religious belief and wants to rule in the name of this religious belief. But once he takes power, he's really a very secular ruler and doesn't seem at all concerned with whether or not any Anybody else around him believes in his religious slash political ideology, again, apart from Darth Vader. And we can see sort of this lack of an interest in indoctrinating people in the behavior of Palpatine's upper leadership. In episode four, we see on the Death Star some of Palpatine's top military and political leaders openly mocking the idea of the Force, making fun of Darth Vader and his ancient religion that's useless and so on, well, at least until he Force chokes them. But the point is clearly even those close to Palpatine, those who help him rule the Empire, don't have any interest in his religious beliefs, his political ideology, and they seem to hold these beliefs in contempt to some degree. And this clearly isn't affecting their ability to rise through the ranks. They're not being punished for it, again, unless they're stupid enough to say this stuff to Darth Vader's face. But there isn't really any attempt to proselytize, to spread the ideals, the beliefs of the Sith. 
So Palpatine himself has an ideology, but he doesn't seem interested in promoting it or ruling through it, apart from the idea that he's the Lord of the Sith, he gets to be in charge of everybody. Beyond that, his ideology doesn't seem to guide in any way how he rules his empire. So there's no real use of ideology politically. And further, there's really no political mobilization of the population. If you look at the way average people seem to live in different parts of the Star Wars galaxy, throughout the movies or in the extended stuff, it seems more like the average person in the Empire lives the life of a resident of an authoritarian state, not a totalitarian one. People aren't required to go to rallies where they celebrate Palpatine and his cause and the great Sith ideology. I mean, all through the first movie, we don't even see Palpatine's face. If this were a totalitarian regime, you'd kind of expect, like you saw propaganda posters all over the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany, big pictures of Stalin. You know, you'd expect to see posters of Palpatine all over the place, but you don't. It seems like most people wouldn't even be aware of what he looked like. You don't see anything like that, trying to convert people to a cause, get them to buy in to this bogus belief system. Luke Skywalker, before joining the Rebellion, seems to live a life fairly free of government interference. He's not forced to join the Palpatine youth. He doesn't have to study the beliefs and history of the Sith in school. There doesn't seem to be that kind of mobilization. Quite the opposite. It seems like most people are encouraged, under the rule of the Empire, to just keep their heads down. Do what you want in your private life. Just don't make problems for the the Empire will send people after you. So all these things are really marks of an authoritarian regime, not a totalitarian one. And further, there doesn't seem to be that widespread use of secret police and spying on the population that you tend to see in totalitarian regimes. It seems like there's a very pervasive black market. The rebellion seems to be pretty easily able to recruit people. There doesn't seem to be that same kind of effective coercive apparatus that totalitarian states tend to have that's meant to keep the population in check and be constantly aware of what's happening everywhere in the society. It really seems like the stormtroopers could learn something from the KGB and the Stasi and the Gestapo. Although, to be fair, this seems to be less about an ideological opposition to the idea. I'm sure Palpatine and the Empire's leadership would be happy to be spying on the whole population if possible, but it seems like, given the scale of the Empire, just how big it is, how many systems it encompasses, how many probably trillions of people are in the Empire, it's really just impossible for the Empire to maintain a spy network capable of spying on the population the way something like the KGB was able to. So it's less ideological opposition to this idea and more just practical limitations. This territory is way too big. And while we're talking about it, this practical limitation, the inability of the Empire to, through force of arms, control their entire population across countless systems, leads Grand Moff Tarkin to develop and espouse what becomes known as the Tarkin Doctrine. And if you're not familiar with this particular piece of extended universe Star Wars lore, the Tarkin Doctrine was this idea developed by Grand Moff Tarkin that essentially justified the use of the Death Star. Tarkin basically says, look, we have too much ground to cover. We control too much territory. We can't possibly raise an army large enough to police this entire population. We can't keep everybody in line through force of arms. We can't have a detachment of stormtroopers in every city on every planet 
in the galaxy. We just can't do it. There's no way we can keep people in line through force of arms, through coercing all of them all at once. Instead, we need to recognize that limitation and rely on rule through fear. So we're not going to orient our military to try to control every system, every planet at once. We're going to orient our military to strike fear into people so that no one dares rebel because they know what will happen if they try. And this becomes the purpose of the Death Star. Really, in purely military terms, the Death Star doesn't make a lot of sense. It's this one big battle station with just one big gun and it can blow up planets and I guess it can blow up big starships, but that's it. And it's slow moving, it's hard to protect. It seems like if you're interested in just winning battles, better to put the resources required for the Death Star into building a thousand star destroyers just building your big capital ships and send those all over the place but this is the tarkin doctrine we can't possibly build enough star destroyers and tie fighters and arm enough stormtroopers to be everywhere at once and keep everybody in line so instead we invest in this militarily impractical device the death star and use it to instill fear in the population. We blow up a planet and that sends a signal to any possible resistance. Yeah, we may not be able to stop you tomorrow if you decide to rebel. We might not have the stormtroopers available to put down your rebellion immediately, but if anybody steps out of line, we can just destroy your entire planet. And so that is the Tarkin Doctrine. That's the purpose of the Death Star in Star Wars. Basically, large-scale state terrorism. Rule through fear. Do not rebel or we will obliterate entire civilizations. And interestingly enough, it has real-world parallels. There are regimes that rule this way. In 1982, Syria was ruled by Hafez al-Assad, the father of the current dictator Bashar al-Assad. And Hafez al-Assad was a brutal dictator, and the Syrian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood launched a rebellion against him and ended up taking control of the city of Hama in 1982. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood didn't have the power to overthrow Assad. In that moment, they weren't a significant threat to him. But under Assad's orders, the military laid siege to the city of Hama through the month of February, and over the course of that month, laid waste to the city. Now, numbers vary wildly, but probably upwards of 10,000 people, possibly up to 40,000 people, were killed in the Syrian military's attack on Hama. Now, this extreme overkill was intentional on the part of Assad. This wasn't just about putting down the Brotherhood. This was about sending a message to any would-be resistance. If you fight back, if you attempt to resist the Assad regime, this will be done to you. And it led the writer Thomas Friedman to coin the term Hama rules to describe this strategy. Assad ruling through fear, sending the message, if you resist me, the rules change. You won't get a proportional response. You will be obliterated. And this strategy seemed to work for a time. Through the rest of the reign of Hafez al-Assad, there was no other wide-scale uprising like we saw in Hama in 1982. And for quite some time under the reign of his son Bashar al-Assad. There was no widespread resistance to the Assad regime until 2011, when in the midst of the Arab Spring uprisings that were sweeping across parts of the Middle East, we saw another eruption of mass resistance to the regime. And this time, at least in the short run, the military failed to put this resistance down. And the ongoing civil war we see in Syria now is the result. And so, I think in many ways, Syria is a good parallel for the empire. You have a regime that is really built around the leadership of one individual, Palpatine or Hafez and then Bashar al-Assad. So a very personalistic regime. 
with a strong military that's very loyal to the regime and a military that rules and keeps the leader in power primarily through fear. Oh, and further, you could also add, Syria also has this interesting characteristic of being ostensibly built on an ideology. The Assads claim to be Baathists. They claim to belong to the Baath party and believe in the Baathist ideology. But there's really no indication how they rule that they actually care about supporting this ideology or Baathism or anything like that. So just as Palpatine is officially guided by the Sith ideology, he doesn't really seek to impose it on anybody else. You could say it's a similar thing here. I'd say the difference is Palpatine actually believes in the Sith and the Sith belief system, and I think the Assads always only cared about Baathism to the extent it gave them some degree of legitimacy. But still, same idea. There is an ideology in the leadership officially, but it's not imposed on the people in any way, in the way you'd expect in a totalitarian regime. So, it seems like the Empire kind of fits into that mold fairly well. Not a totalitarian regime, but a very brutal authoritarian regime that rules through their own version of Hama rules. Rule through fear. Rule through the Tarkin Doctrine. But there's still something missing for me. And that is a question of who are the elites in the Empire? Obviously, Palpatine is the leader. He is the dictator. Vader is his second-in-command. But who are the other elites that support his regime? Any authoritarian or totalitarian regime you look at, you're going to see some group of people who wield some degree of power or influence in the society. Some group of people whom the dictator draws on for support and whom the dictator has to, at least to some degree, be concerned with keeping happy. This is really important to remember. Dictators don't just come to power in a vacuum. They don't come to power on their own without some kind of support, without some kind of organization behind them backing them usually some group that already has some kind of power or influence in the state or in society Hitler had the Nazi party when Hitler got himself appointed chancellor he could count on the Nazis he had in German government already to back him and he relied on them to help install his new regime Egypt's Gamal Abdel Nasser had the military. He had the generals, the high-ranking officers, and through them the rank and file of the military on his side, who helped put him in power and keep him in power. Saudi Arabia's Ibn Saud had the Bedouins, the nomadic peoples of what is now Saudi Arabia, who fought for him and helped put his family in power. Vladimir Putin had the economic oligarchs of Russia, at least after a while. For a time there was conflict between them, but he eventually brought them into line and he counted on their support to help keep him in power. So Dictators generally have some group of elites who back them. And a big part of defining and categorizing what kind of government we're looking at when examining non-democratic governments is to ask who are the elites in this system? Who have some degree of power? Is it a military junta? Is it some kind of economic elite? Is it a single powerful political party like in China today? Who are the elites and how do they influence the system? How much power do they have to influence the leader? And Star Wars never really seemed to explore or explain this. The military certainly seems to play a role. The clones who help Palpatine take power when he initiates Order 66 and all that certainly play a role. But military leadership don't seem to have any influence over the Empire's policy. 
Palpatine doesn't seem interested in what military leaders have to say to any degree. Economic elites have never really been explored in Star Wars, at least not in the movies or any of the extended stuff I've seen. We never see who are the wealthy people, owners of big corporations that can wield some kind of power through their money. We never see that explored in any way. From what I can tell reading some of the extended Star Wars stuff and looking up Wikipedia, it seems like the moths that play a role at points in Star Wars seem to fall under political elites. It seems like a lot of these moths, like Grand Moff Tarkin, were people who held political positions, either elected positions or as bureaucrats in the Old Republic, and then transferred over to supporting Palpatine at some point. But it's also never really explored in any detail. I always wondered, who does Palpatine listen to, if anybody? Who is Palpatine concerned with keeping happy? I remember in the prequels, we always got a sense that Palpatine had an inner circle. There's a few scenes where we see him meeting or just finishing a meeting with some group of people. He's going from place to place with a little entourage. That guy, I'm sure he has a name and background details that are explained in Wikipedia, but I didn't think to look it up. But that, that guy who looks like a Twi'lek, but his head things end in like horns on the top of his head. That guy always seems to be hanging around Palpatine. This is the guy that tricks Jar Jar into voting to give Palpatine more powers, I think. But anyway, we see people like that. We see people in Palpatine's inner circle and we get a sense they're supporting his rise to power and they have some degree of influence over the politics of the Republic, but it's never really explored in any detail. And I wish it was explored more. I'd love to know who these people are, who are Palpatine's inner circle. And again, that can help us narrow down exactly what kind of government is the Empire. Is it ultimately a military junta? The military holds power? Except with Palpatine being a civilian leader? Or is it more of something else? Is it more like Russia or China or Syria or what? So I wish they'd explore that more. And I guess this has always been the issue with Star Wars, that so many details that you'd expect to be fleshed out in a story as complex as this just aren't. And I suspect it comes from sort of the grinding of gears that occurred when Star Wars went from being a much more broad, high fantasy, don't think about the details kind of story to being something that was intended to be much deeper and more nuanced. And it's the shift that I think starts to occur in the 90s, right? The original trilogy really is just high fantasy. I don't think we're supposed to think too much about the politics of it. I mean, again, there are allusions to Nazi Germany and World War II and so on. But in general, Star Wars, at least the original trilogy, it's really just a fantasy story set in space. And I realize I'm hardly the first person to say this, but it bears repeating. It's just a fantasy story. It's a young farm boy with a destiny meeting a wise wizard who mentors him. And with the help of a band of adventurers, including clever rogues and a princess, he helps fight an evil empire and defeat an evil wizard who was trying to conquer the land. It's just basic fantasy. And because of that, I think we're not supposed to think too hard about these things. Palpatine is in power because he's in power. His motivation is he's evil. He's an evil wizard. That's what evil wizards do in fantasy stories. They take over the kingdom and do evil things to people. But beginning, I think, in the 80s and maybe the 80s, but probably more the 90s with some of the extended universe novels that try to flesh this universe out more. And then with the prequels, where we start exploring the Senate and trade regulations 
and with the prequels really centering around Palpatine's rise to power, Star Wars shifted to being something that was meant to tell a more serious story, where we're supposed to ask questions about what are different people's political motives. How does someone come to power? And I think it's left behind a lot of conflict as these things don't always mesh well with one another. And this isn't to say either approach is wrong. I love classic Star Wars, just the classic turn your brain off, enjoy lightsabers and laser battles and stuff blowing up and space magic. Just enjoy that and don't think about it too much. And of course, I love deeper, more nuanced political sci-fi where we explore real political questions and challenges in a sci-fi setting. Both are great, but trying to build one on top of the other leaves behind weird gaps in the story where suddenly Palpatine isn't just this evil wizard who took power we don't care why and now he's a dictator who came to power by manipulating political forces and getting himself elected emperor but we're still left with a whole lot of questions that could never be fully answered well maybe you know given enough comic books and video games and novels and so on but at least they're not answered yet and so I guess that's why I find myself asking these things because as you watch more new Star Wars you're led to to want to ask these questions, but you're just sometimes left without answers. I continue to ask myself in a realistic political narrative, how is it that an evil wizard with no clear base of support managed to take over a whole galaxy? It just doesn't make sense. But again, maybe we'll get another prequel or a novel that explains some of this. But having said all that, I would say there is still a lot of realistic stuff in here. There's still a lot of stuff that's missing, stuff that could be fleshed out more. But a lot of this stuff is very real. It mirrors real-world politics. Palpatine leads an authoritarian regime that is ostensibly built on an ideology, but which in fact isn't concerned with any ideology or goal beyond keeping the political leadership in power and suppressing dissent, and which rules primarily through fear. So despite the aesthetics, I'd argue Palpatine is less Hitler or Stalin and more Assad or Gaddafi. And sadly, in the real world, getting rid of these kinds of guys isn't as easy or bloodless or exciting as it is in the movies. But that's probably a topic for another day. And so I guess that's my take on The Empire. Thanks for listening. And side rant. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for joining me here in the new year. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about my plans for the upcoming year, what I'm hoping for for this podcast, what I'd like to accomplish, what I'd like to see happen. And as always, to ask you, the audience, for suggestions, comments, what you'd hope to see from the show in the coming year. So I'll just start by saying I already have lots of ideas for upcoming episodes. There's going to be lots of stuff to cover this year. There are a few topics that I've been dying to cover at some point, and I've been waiting, and I'll definitely get to them in the new year. I know that hopefully, barring more pandemic stuff or other unexpected problems, the new Dune movie is coming out this year, and I'll likely be talking a lot about that. I know I could do a dozen episodes easily on the politics of Dune, so I've got a lot planned there. There are a handful of novels that are on my reading list that I'd like to get to this year, and I'm sure I'll have something to say about that. There are also some political topics I'd like to cover this year, and I'm just looking for a good sci-fi parallel to make it work. Specifically, Specifically in academia, I'm very interested in the politics of social movements 
I love researching and talking about social movements and how they work, and I'd love to do an episode on that. I'm just trying to find the right movie or book or video game that would allow me to explore that topic in a sci-fi setting. So there's lots of topics I've already got in my mind. There's some stuff I'm still putting together, but there is still plenty of space for other things, so I'm always looking for suggestions, requests for stuff to cover. I always love it when someone brings up something to me that I haven't heard before, something new I get to check out. And I'll also just add, this year I really am hoping to do more collaborations with other people. I'd love to do more interviews. I was able to do a few the past year as I got the podcast up and running. I was able to have some friends and family on the show. I was honored to have director Deborah Caldwell-Stone of the American Library Association on to talk about Banned Books Week and a little bit about her sci-fi interests, and I would love to do more of that kind of stuff this year. So I'm actively looking for people I can talk to, that I can have on the show. And so here too, if you have suggestions for somebody you'd like me to talk to, if you yourself are somebody that has an interest in either the political science stuff or the nerd culture stuff or both at the same time, drop me a line. I'd love to talk to you. So those are my plans for this year. Lots more topics to cover, hopefully with more awesome, interesting people. That's what I'm shooting for. And of course, like everyone else, I'm just hoping this year is an improvement over the dumpster fire that was 2020. So fingers crossed. See you all in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Like I said, love to hear from you. You can be in touch with me on Twitter at Social Sci-Fi Show, on Facebook at Social Science Fiction Podcast, on Instagram at social underscore sci underscore fi, and you can email me at socialsciencefictionshow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.